Welcome to VPG's virtual water cooler chat podcast, where we share lessons and stories of women professionals to help empower other women and expand a greater circle of influence. So we walk our journey with those who understand and appreciate us. Today, we'll talk with Brendy Balany, a paralegal supervisor and training coordinator at Perkins Coie LLP in Washington, D.C., With over 20 years of experience, Brendy is a people manager who supervises, mentors, and trains patent prosecution paralegals and paralegal assistants. She is passionate about the empowerment and development of her team and spends her days training, mentoring, managing projects, and working collaboratively with individuals at all organizational levels. Brendy takes every opportunity to learn and express her creativity. She's an avid reader, loves to visit museums, History Channel fanatic, and is currently learning to play the piano as an adult. She also served as a volunteer mentor with the Fresh Air Fund, so it's safe to say sharing knowledge and ideas are her passion. Hey, Brandy, thank you so much for accepting our invitation to uh, VPG's virtual water cooler chat. So happy to have you, and thank God it's Friday. Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. I'm so glad that we met at the Emerging Trends Committee at IPMA, and I've learned so much from you and other administrators that really talk about very, and also very passionate about the various topics that face the uh, legal industry. So tell us about yourself and what drives Brandy. As a basic biography, I am a par- the paralegal supervisor uh, for patent prosecution at Perkins Coie. Um, I'm also the training coordinator there. Um, so I manage all training programs for the paralegals, paralegal assistants, and I also coordinate with um, LPA leadership to have training for them as well. If you want to go back further, I started off as a receptionist. I, you know, I landed in patent prosecution by mistake. Um, I wanted to go to law school at one point and maybe I'll still go, you know, I'm still pretty young, you know, but what drives me is that I want to see people grow. I love seeing, helping people see the best in themselves. Um, professional development, education, teaching, that's like something that's in my blood. It's, it's something that drives me. I'm not sure where it came from, but my mother is also an educator in the healthcare industry. So it might be something genetic, who knows? Um, My parents are Haitian immigrants, so I'm first generation. And so the drive to just help people comes from watching them struggle, right? Watching them, you know, succeed and struggle and build this legacy that they've built. I'm literally the first person in my family to be born in these United States of America. And my parents are very successful. My siblings are very successful. My cousins, my aunts, everyone's very successful um, because they always helped each other. They always had each other's back. And that's something that I always admired. And it just followed me through life. Even in school, I was kind of like a tutor for a lot of my friends. And you know, so it's always something that has driven me. It's just seeing, helping people see the best in themselves. On a personal note, what drives me is equity, equity for the underserved. I volunteered at the Fresh Air Fund for a few years. I donate to various charities, um, including Donor Choose. It's where teachers go to get 
donations for their projects. And so every month I donate to, to one project because I think it's so important for teachers to have the resources that they need. When I see that, it's something that's super important to me. And little known fact, I did start a nonprofit when I was in my 20s. It didn't take off, but it was something that was important to me, just helping underserved communities. So yeah, that's basically me. That's great. Um, I wish that more people will be thinking about other people instead of just ourselves. Because, you know, like every single time, for example, even when we have problems, sometimes it's like, I have to remind myself whatever problems I have is so much, it's hard, don't get me wrong, but it's, um, you know, whatever problems that I might have is so much more insignificant than many other people that face. So gratitude is not something that really helps me maintain that equilibrium in terms of, you know, being grateful about what I have and friends, families, you know, clients, whoever, like, and colleagues, professional colleagues like you. So um, thank you for letting me know that you have been doing some of those wonderful things to help others. Now, if you have to choose, can you describe yourself in three words? Um, I would say I'm passionate about what matters to me, right? So I'm not passionate about everything, but what matters to me, I'm passionate about it. So if I'm involved in a project, I am all in 1000%. Um, I'm a little quirky, you know, um, I have a funny, a, a weird sense of humor. And then I'm pretty creative. I recently ran across, you know, your phone gives you the look back, you know, what happened two years ago and these pictures pop up. So like I this morning, literally nine years ago, I was making jewelry and I have like pictures of all the jewelry that I made. And can I used to make candles as well. Um, right now I'm in my uh, learning how to play the piano zone. So, you know, that's a creative outlet for me. Um, I'm probably going to get back into jewelry making again, just for fun. You know, it's just the thing. So Passionate, creative, and quirky. Those are my three words. But overall, though, I believe it or not, I'm an introvert. And so when people meet me, it's often, she's so quiet or she's, you know, and it's not until you actually get to know me or we're having some type of like debate about something and you realize like she really cares about this and she wants, you know, she wants to be heard. And yeah, that's my personality. My personality is to stay to myself. You can, I can hide in my apartment for days and no one sees me. And yet when it matters, I'm there. So while you were talking about yourself having growth mindset, uh, I pride myself to do the same. I love reading podcasts. And actually I was telling one of my team members that, that I'm a closet introvert. And people closet said that, okay. yeah, I'm a closet <laughs> introvert because like most of my friends who know me for years, they were like, you're not an introvert. I said, I am because introverts is basically where your energy, you know, comes yes. from, mm-hmm. right? So it's not mm-hmm. about how much I talk, mm-hmm. you know, how I appear in a group. It's like, how much energy is draining me after attending a conference? Mm-hmm. I have to go into my room and just be by myself recharge. So I call myself a closet introvert. 
There are two authors that I wonder if you have come across them. The first one is Carol Dweck, who wrote The Growth Mindset. Amazing author. And other person is Vanessa Van Edwards. Mm-hmm. And she wrote a book on cues. She's a behavioral scientist, mm-hmm. but she basically distinguishes like there's introvert, there's uh, extrovert, but mm-hmm. there's ambivert. Those mm-hmm. are the people like that are in between. It's basically when you go to conference, you could kind of like socialize. Mm-hmm. But, you know, who knows what you're going to go back when you have to recharge yourself. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And so I'm like either a closet introvert or an ambivert. But when I told my friend that I'm an introvert, everybody like, I have like, we went to on a girl's trip and all of them jumped up and said, you are not an introvert. I said, I know who I am. With yeah. the people that you're comfortable with, yeah, it's hard for them to know unless they've known you for a very long time. So most of my friends I've had since high school, I actually have one friend I've known since the sixth grade. Mm-hmm. They know that I'm an introvert. They know to like when to leave me alone. They know when I go quiet. They 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 understand that. They know not to invite me to certain things. They just they know, but they also know that I'm a good time. We're a good time together, you know. But they have, you know, it took time for them to get to know that. I've had friends say to me, I don't know how we became friends because when I met you, you did not look like someone that wanted to be friends with anyone because I was very stoic. <laughs> That's exactly the word I was thinking about when you were saying that. I was like, oh, stoicism. She recently told me that. And I said, well, you know, you have to get to know me. And and I let you get to know me. You, I got to know you. And here we are 20-something years later, and we're still friends. It's interesting how we evolve and understand ourselves and each other. So VPG, we are actually growing an on-demand platform for, like, mm-hmm. training. Mm-hmm. So I met someone on LinkedIn as paralegal supervisor at ACLU, North Cal chapter. And we were talking and basically going over like some specifics in terms of how's the program going? You know, what do we do? So I do a little bit of uh, discussion and coaching. And (laughs) we were like joking yesterday about like leadership management. And then all of a sudden we just broke into Taylor Swift's song, Antihero. And then we just laugh so much. And I really, really enjoy being able to be like myself. And I was like, it's me. <laughs> you know, the problem is me, always me. But it was so good, like to be able to, to build a community mm-hmm. and work with other women because we feel comfortable. She was like, Do I look okay with this? I'm like, yeah, I think so. Do you think mm-hmm. I need to do this? I'm like, no, just be you. So I was going to ask the question, how did you choose your path to become a manager at a large law firm? And do you think you picked the right path? And when you first started, you said that you started out as a receptionist. And you, when you share your cultural background of being um, from Haiti, and then the first born in America, I mean, I guess the struggle is real. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a struggle. And it's so important to keep that as part of your perspective and everything that you do as you go through life, because everybody does have a struggle, right? So there's that that meme that goes around Instagram, you know, be kind. You don't know what battles that someone is fighting. And I really try to understand that. I really am a, an empathetic person as well. You know, I try to understand everyone's battles you know, and some days I don't engage and I'm just like, okay, you 
whatever you're going through has nothing to do with me. But at the same time, I also try to help whenever possible, especially if it's someone that I know or someone that I'm close to. And it's a matter of how we look at that struggle, what we learn from the struggle. My grandmother came here. She didn't know a lick of English. And I'm from New York, New York City. Before Google Maps, you could ask my grandmother any destination and she could tell you what trains, what buses, you know, where to connect everything, right? As a Haitian immigrant, that is big because she comes from, you know, Haiti. I mean, they they have city life, but there's no metro. There's no transit. There's, you know, you get in a car, you go where you got to go. You walk to your neighbor's house, right? That's what's formed me. That's what's created me. That's, you know, that's the stock that I come from. You know, I come from people who, while they were struggling, they never stopped. And my grandmother was somebody who always helped, always my parent, my mom, my parents are the same way. My mom and my dad are the same way. My family is the same way. They just love to help people. My grandmother, and she didn't have much. It's not like she was rich, but she never came to your house empty-handed. Whether it was a carton of juice or a can of tuna fish, whatever she knew you liked. I loved Kit Kats when I was younger, and she would she would never show up in my house without a Kit Kat and five dollars. You know, so that's the, that's the stock I come from. I mean, I'm so glad because especially when you're talking about like your grandmother knowing exactly what train and, you know, to take when even with Google Map, I'm not sure I can navigate that. Right. I mean, I could do it take time, but like, I because I am originally from Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. So my parents um came because my grandparents were here so they applied for us and sponsored for us to come over mm-hmm. and my grandmother was illiterate and she mm-hmm. actually had her uh she had like she was so traditional that, that she, she had her feet banged oh, wow. so it was those error mm-hmm. and one thing that always surprised me is that you cannot cheat her at the grocery store <laughs> I'm like <laughs> mom how did grandma know how to do this she was like just do I don't know <laughs> but it's like they have a special I guess a kin sense of how things are mm-hmm. and you know it's like when you go to a grocery she look at the stuff she doesn't read give out like $20 and it was like 1980 it was like how did you do that <laughs> she figures it out they figure it out up until <laughs> I was in my late 20s she was she later on developed Alzheimer's and passed away from that. But mm. up until my late 20s, this woman, I would call her and say, hey, how do I get to XYZ? And she would be like, oh, you take the A train to this stop, and then you got to take the bus to this stop, and then you got to take the... And I'm like, how do you know this lady? Like, And she barely spoke English, but she figured out how to get to her destination because she didn't drive, but she figured it out. you know. And so when I look at her, how could I not be successful, one, accomplish, two, and help others? You look at just that one person, how could you not want to pass on some of that legacy and build upon that? She came here with nothing. And yet, how could I not take that and run with it? She walked so I can run. You know, now I run so my son could fly, right? Like it's, building on that legacy and and it doesn't have to be like we're millionaires we're not millionaires we're not you know but we're doing something for the world we're adding to the world so and that's that's important to me 
That is very important to me. And that's one of the things when I first started my business, I think that it was more for myself. And I really wanted to have like a work-life balance because I was in litigation for 20 plus years. Litigation is not conducive to work-life balance, at least in my opinion. I mean, other people may have been able to achieve that. And then my dad passed in 2017 rather suddenly. So it really changed my perspective on life. Mm -hmm. And I also have my mom living with me. And that does also change perspective because now I have to balance because my mom doesn't drive. But um, I think that when I realized that it was really difficult for me to juggle between pleasing others Mm -hmm. versus doing things that is meaningful to me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I really learned a lot from my previous job. And I really do believe that everything happens for a reason. You gain experience. I'm very grateful for the experience that I have gained and the people that have kind of gotten to know along the way. Many remain friends. But this is the next part of my journey. And I have no idea exactly where this is going to take me either. So until then, I'm just going to enjoy the ride. Amen. So how did the pandemic change your role and responsibility as a practice manager? And how does this affect your worldview, if any? So essentially, my role didn't change. There were some components that kind of shifted. Um, We were always at Perkins. We always had a program where paralegals worked remotely two days a week or three days a week. And so the shift to remote work was pretty smooth, right? Compared to what other firms and corporations were going through during that time. However, what we did figure out was that we could expand our candidate pool when we were recruiting, because now that we were remote and it looks like we're going to be remote for ever with some type of engagement in office, but for the most part, we're going to probably remain remote. We could expand our candidate pool and recruit in markets that we never recruited from before. But that also comes with its own difficulties because when we do start to do in office events, how do you bring the person that's in Montana into that fold when they're the only person in Montana? You know, that creates some challenges and we've kind of try to do a lot of restructuring of of how we engage with our people. In general, we would do like a big meeting, you know, monthly with our paralegals and paralegal assistants and LPAs. Now we do uh, one big meeting per quarter and then smaller regional meetings so that there's more small group interaction. Uh, People are getting to know each other a little bit better. We've done some focus groups. So that allows for some conversation and discussion amongst the paralegals and in smaller groups. We're using more of the firm's recognition programs to let people know, like, we see you. Even though you're in Montana, we see you. We also created uh, a newsletter that I run every month just to keep people abreast of what's happening with the group. We just had to adapt, right? So my, my role continued adapting and evolving into more focus on engagement because engagement was kind of easier when you're in the office. You know, even if we're in the office three days a week, we can engage, right? 
now it's like we're all online and some people don't when they enter their phone they don't turn on the video and so you're mm-hmm. staring at a black screen so you had to adapt to that and it's fine i had to get comfortable with that because we're not face to face it really was about adapting it really wasn't about anything other than really adapting and recognizing that this was an opportunity to get creative about how we look at work and how we look at our people and how we engage with our people. And it's been good. I enjoy it. Again, I'm mostly remote. I just requested an office in our DC office for the past year. I didn't have an office, which is interesting because I moved to the Bay Area to take my current position. And then during the pandemic, I moved back to the East Coast because I was so far away from my family and friends. So we're back to the East Coast and now I'm in their DC office. But when I first started in DC office, I didn't request an office. And then I realized like, no, I need to adapt to that. I, I need to adapt and request an office and have a presence in the office once in a while to engage with my people as well. Well, talking to you, I really enjoy our conversation so far because it seems to have like kindred spirit. We have a lot of similarities here. And one of the things that I can tell, especially when you, you know, in terms of the adaptability and I was like, oh, she can do it because she's very creative, you know, from you dabbling about like jewelry making, doing your nonprofit, doing so many things other than the job that you're doing. It's not that we are not our position. Oh, <laughs> yeah. People first, right? Exactly. So I think one of the things during the pandemic is really opening our eyes because I work with, you know, at the beginning when I first started, with like, I was so stuck on this IRS because like all of us are 1099, mm. right? So mm. it's like, I don't have any employee because that would defeat the whole IRS definition of, you know, employee. Mm-hmm. And I came from the legal background. So it's like, it's very strict black and white. You have to adhere to that. So the first year, the struggle was also real. I was talking to people and I got on to a webinar. I'm like, I'm a bunch of freelancers. I'm not quite sure what to do about this. And I met a branding professor. He was really amazing. His name is Sasha Strout, and he was a TEDx speaker. I took his webinar because I had some free time. And then I started connecting with him and talked to him, invited him on a chat. And that was the last virtual water cooler chat before it turned into a podcast. He called it a podcast, but I was very self-conscious most of the time. But you couldn't tell, just like you cannot tell that I am an introvert. So I just decided to give myself a challenge and interview him on LinkedIn Live and Facebook Live. Wow. I was petrified before I got on. But I had Caitlin who actually runs the show. And I was looking at one of the video that was not released. It was basically our prep. And we had um, Sasha on there. And I can tell my own leadership style differences because I used to be a manager. So manager and leaders, they have inherent differences because some people said that, well, as a manager, you manage your people. Well, there would be thought leaders that, that you don't manage people. They're not like a towel that you could just wring. <laughs> it's not a machine. It's not yeah, a machine. Exactly. It's so, not a machine. <laughs> so with that, it was like when I was on the initial webinar and I didn't have enough 
self-confidence. It came across when I was taking the webinar and after the webinar, I was like, oh yeah, I have this company and a bunch of freelancers. He was like, he turned my, I mean, that's why he was so good. He was like, I know that you'll go places because you are basically flying this Millennium Falcon. Okay. <laughs> so I am struggling from IRS definition. Mm-hmm. Freelancers, how do you actually creatively? So a lot of it is just even in our daily job, it's the box that you create for yourself within like constraint. Because, you know, at a larger organization, you have a lot more rules and policies. But for me, I have to be able to walk out of that box before I can actually invite other people in. So mm. the first year was, I don't have any employees. Second year is like, maybe I do. But how do I actually engage? Because these are freelancers, very talented people. Mm-hmm. But even if I pay them a lot of money, they still don't belong to my company. Right? How do you actually get that engagement? And I found that very, very challenging. And I like challenges. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hmm, how do I actually do that? So I've learned so much from my team. And one of the things that is like really trying to figuring out exactly how best to engage them so that they feel the ownership, mm-hmm. but at the same time still allow them to contribute to BPG and the workplace while growing them. So I think that in that sense, our philosophy are very similar. Every week, I would have like a weekly meeting, especially with a couple of people when we are working on challenges. And so from responsiveness to boundaries to, and a lot of it, I have to learn it myself because I was a yes person before. Mm. Like everything was a yes. Because you do have deadline, you know, if you have that midnight deadline, what are you going to say to your attorneys? No. Well, I guess I would lose the job real fast. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so years of experience of saying yes, but now it's like learning to say no. Yeah. And how do you say no diplomatically with and while asserting your own value and knowing and appreciate your own value and your team's value? And that has been one of the things that I found so amazingly challenging, but it's also fun. When you crack that code, I like, when you oh, crack the yes. code, yes. I, and I do agree with you on the adaptability. So, for example, you know, I generally have a lot of um, perfectionists. So I would have like to be very like anxious about certain things. But I watched one of the prep video when um when we were doing that life. I was obviously with all this anxiety, mm-hmm. and then but inside at that moment it was like. I think our webinar sort of um, coordinator was saying that, oh, somehow we got, this is before we go live. I was like, oh, somehow we got dropped off. And I was like sitting there, I was like, oh, don't worry. I, you, you got it. I I know you got it or something like that. That is so not like me. You know, you know, Mass. I was like, who is that? You yeah. Know? I, yeah. And, and what happens is when you start to crack the code, as you say, what you're actually doing is you're, you're just empowering all of the people around you to be their best selves, right? You're helping them, you're driving that vehicle to help them 
figure it out on their own because essentially they have to figure it out on their own. You can't figure it out for them, right? You can point things out, you can give them best practices, but at the end of the day, you're just going to empower them. That's 2023, my word is empower. I am empowering my team to be the their best selves, to give the best work product, to figure out what's best for them. I want to go back to that I can't say no thing. I mean, with litigation, it's very different. But what I've told my team of people is you don't have to say no. You can say not now. You can say, here's an alternative. This is not within my purview, but I will find someone to manage this for you. The word no always scares paralegals because yes, they feel a sense of ownership to everything. They, most paralegals are perfectionists. They're type A personalities. They take ownership of everything. I am a recovering paralegal myself, so I totally get it. But I have learned to say not now or here's an alternative. And again, that's just me being creative, trying to figure out ways to empower people to be their best selves. Like, and I just love to see, like you said, the cracking the code. Now that's going to be my new phrase for the year. Cracking the code. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to crack the code on this. Yeah, I think it's our job as leaders. I always kind of refer to the managers and supervisors that I work with, my colleagues, as leadership. I very rarely call myself a manager or a supervisor. Like that's my title, obviously, but generally I will say leadership. Um, my team calls me their fearless leader because I, you know, I tend to take on whatever it is, you know, and it seems like I'm fearless. Usually I'm not, I'm shaking in my boots, but outwardly, you know, I got this, but I think it's important. It's important to empower people to crack their own codes. We have the the capability to do that because once once they do it themselves, there's more value in it than me telling them this is how you should do it because they're always going to look at me like, why do you think you know better than me, right? I might know better than you. It might work for me. Whatever way I tell you might work for me. It might not work for you. And so let's figure out together what the best next step is, how to improve this situation, whatever the situation is. Yeah, so that, cracking the code, I'm going to write that down. You're cracking the code to empower other people. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that's, you know, I've never found a way to put it so perfectly, but that's exactly what my passion is, is to crack the code to empower other people. Because I feel like once you do that, sky's the limit. I've, along the way in my career, I have had people empower me and give me opportunities and help me see the best in me and even the worst in me that I could improve on, right? If it wasn't for that, if they didn't empower me to do that, I didn't see it as empowerment at the time. I just thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. Somebody's helping me out, right? (laughs) (laughs) But... What they actually did was empower me with their words, with their actions, with connecting me with someone, with writing a letter of recommendation, whatever it was, with mentoring, with training, with giving me an opportunity. My first opportunity at supervising was, it was created for me because we didn't have that position before at the firm that I was at. That was a position that was created for, you know, for me to do the things that we knew needed to be done. I did pretty well at it too, 
for someone who was, you know, who had no experience in this whole game. And so today I stand on, that's where my foundation started in, in managing people. It started there where it wasn't even a position that was, I never applied for the position. It was just a promotion, basically. They created this title and here I was managing people. I had no idea what I was doing, but I figured it out. I got mentorship. I got advice. I Google things and Google was not big at that time. I read books and I got advice from other managers. And so here I am, you know, 20 some odd years later, cracking the code. I think one thing that is so obviously when I came out and started, do, I always knew how to do file. I mean, not always, but I knew how to do filings. I do PTAP support. The thing is, I think most skills are transferable. And what is really important is learn to think. If you're a good thinker and you're a quick learner, pretty much sky's the limit. But the problem is like in many ways, people didn't, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have the podcast is basically have other people that, you know, people may say, oh, you know, she's the founder. She must have know what she's doing. Well, I know how to do filing. But when they change the system, I had to figure out, I have anxiety. I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? And then I read the user guide and all these things and try to troubleshoot. And mm-hmm. I really do pride myself on like, Thinking out of the box, I was not as confident before. I mean, I knew that I'm smart, but there's so many things that I didn't do it before. So how do I know that I can actually do it? So the reason for having this podcast is sharing important lessons and the journey from other women. So far, I've actually focused, wanted to focus on women empowerment. I learned so much about leadership and management as well management i really do believe that you manage resources you lead people and as i learn different lessons i feel that it is good to share with others and so i think this opportunity to share is pretty amazing so i i, I could talk to you all day freddie but i have to go pick up my mom later I so that. what are some key lessons learned that you would like to share with our audience to sum it up My number one key lesson or key value, I would say, is staying connected to something higher than myself. Some people call it God, some people call it Buddha, some people call it whatever. Um, I personally believe in God. You know, I believe in the universe, a higher power, something that's connected to me. And I meditate, but I believe that there is something greater than me out there that has created. You can't look at the sky and not think that something bigger is out there, right? So so I stay connected to that. And that helps me through moments of lack of self-confidence, lack, you know, challenges, doubt, that that really is my foundation. And again, that's for my family. My grandmother was highly spiritual, highly religious. Professionally, I will say that, like you said, managing resources and leading people, empowering people to truly rethink how they manage themselves, how they continue to learn, how they work on efficiency, like giving them that platform and that understanding that you're in control of this. How can I help you 
be successful? How can I help you learn more? How can I help you be more efficient? How can I help you with whatever performance issues? But also on the other end, and my mentor at Perkins told me this, don't forget your high performers, right? Because they sit in the corner, they do their thing, they're hitting those global hours, they're filing, they're perfect, everybody loves them, but we don't recognize them. Like they're just kind of there. We know they're there. But we forget that they're there because they're not causing any major issues, right? And and especially the quiet ones who are just there to just kind of do their job, recognize them, call them up once in a while. I speak to my people once a month. We have one-on-ones once a month. So I definitely have those interactions. But I, I know that there can be high performers out there that are like, no one pays attention to me, but I'm just keep doing my job. And then they disappear. And then... You wonder why they leave after a couple of years, right? Because there's there's no engagement there. So don't forget your high performers. While you know you're empowering your people, it's usually the people that need you to empower them that you're interacting with. But don't forget to touch base with those high performers. And finally, I think as people leaders, we're helping build careers, which is something I didn't really recognize up until the past two or three years where I realized like it's literally my job to help people go to where they want to go right so that success alone right the, the next move in the career or even just staying in that same role but learning something new in that role being a participant in that seeing that success that's my success too and that drives me. That drives me to do better for as many people as I possibly can. And then finally, you can't make everybody happy. Period. End of story. That's. I could not agree with you more. I was in construction litigation paralegal, and then I went to um, a patent firm. Mm-hmm. Not like not the previous firm that I was at, but mm-hmm. to another firm, and I was. A workaholic because my parents raised me to be a workaholic. <laughs> you know, you kind of just work, right? And I really did work very hard, and my attorneys loved me. And then, exactly like what you said, because I was just, you know, just doing the work, minding my own business while everybody, the troublemakers or the people that needed more attention, get all the attention. So I'm like, what am I, job lover? <laughs> you know? Then, of course, I got a headhunter call, and they'll say, hey, would you like to go? I'm like, well, I got about 45 minutes. Maybe I'll go for an interview. Right. So that's how I got to the job that I was in for 19 years. Right. When I left, the administrator asked me, I didn't know that you were unhappy. I said, that, well, you never bothered to check in on me. You know, so one of the executive coach I uh, met during the pandemic, his name is Mark Green, and he had a book called Activator. And he said that a lot of the issues in terms of management and leadership are that we pay too much attention to the peak, the problem performers versus the peak performers. Just really need to address that. I really like what you said about helping other people build their career. And sometimes it might mean that they have finished that part of the journey. Yes. And then you can't really hold grudges, you know, because it's like everybody has their thing. And 
I do believe that people's path will cross because that's how things work. And so, in that sense, I think that I don't ever burn bridges because the you know, you never know. The professional world is the world is small. You just never know. So, yep. In that respect, I really want to thank you for taking the time. I thoroughly enjoy our conversation. Thank from you. Two、Lisa. introverts. Oh.